Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good to see you, St. Michael's. My name is Guy Axelson. I'm part of the team here. And what a fantastic passage to be in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we head towards Good Friday and Easter. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die for us so that we might have a relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would pour yourself on us at this point, during this time. Help us to understand the depth of what you went through, what the Son went through on our behalf and because of the love of the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46. Do have your Bibles open you'll find it really useful. And in fact, during this time, we're just going to focus on a part of a verse, verse 39, where Jesus prays this prayer, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And as we look at this prayer of Jesus, we're going to be um, asking this question of how we talk to God when we don't like the look of the future. What do we do? How do we talk to God when we don't like the look of the future? What do we pray? Let's use Jesus as an example. Um, and even before that, you might say, Guy, let's just back up a second. How did we get to this garden? Where is this garden? What is the story before this? And so let me say what's happened is that Jesus is about... 33 years old at this point. He's had uh, three years or so of earthly ministry with his disciples. And there uh, he has prayed for people who've got better, who've been sick. He's been 
preaching the kingdom of God. He's been driving out demons, and he's even raised people from the dead. And then he sets his face to Jerusalem, knowing that he's heading up there for the Passover. But something more is going to happen there. He is going to die on our behalf. And he's made this quite clear that he's heading there for that purpose. And then he makes it even more clear to his disciples as he's sharing this Passover meal with them. And he breaks some bread and he says, this is what's going to happen. My body is going to be broken for you. I'm going to die on your behalf. And he gives them a cup of wine and he says, this cup, this cup is like my blood which is poured out. My blood is going to be poured out. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to do this on your behalf. And then Judas, his betrayer, uh, runs out of the room and he's going to go and grab a a band of of people who are going to arrest Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, the remaining 11, sing a song, which is probably uh, one of the Psalms. And then they walk out through the doors into the black of night. And they go down out of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up the other side, up the mountain, which we know is the Mount of Olives. And there they get to a garden called Gethsemane, which literally means oil press. And so you can imagine this garden. It might have been a walled garden. Uh, There are olive trees around, and there's an oil press where they press the olives to get the oil out. And it seems like Jesus has been there before with his disciples. Maybe he's slept there during this time because there's so many visitors in Jerusalem. There's no place to sleep. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's familiar to him. We know that because Judas knows where um, to bring uh, this band who are going to arrest Jesus. And as Jesus gets to this place, he, he tells most of his disciples to wait just a little bit further away, and then he takes his closest three, uh, Peter and James and John, and he wants them near him. He tells them to watch, and then he tells them to pray. And Jesus, going a bit further away, is troubled, and he is sorrowful, even to the point of death, he says. And then he prays this prayer. And his prayer, we're going to divide into three sections. They're going to be three R's for those who like alliteration. And the first one is, the first R just comes out of uh, these words of, my father, my father, he prays. And that's an R of relationship. And what we see here is a little glimpse into the Trinity the Son of God, praying to God, the Father. And he calls him my Father. And in fact, Jesus has encouraged his disciples to call God their Father. And I would love to encourage you to do exactly that today. We have a God in heaven who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us, a God who we can trust completely. And so therefore, in our times when we don't like the look of the future, we can know that our God still has not changed. And Jesus knows as he looks up to God the Father, that the Father has not changed. He still loves him and cares for him as that love has always existed inside the Trinity. And I would love to encourage you 
if you haven't called God your father yet, if you haven't got to that place in a relationship, start it today. Start it today. Come to a place of trusting a God who loves you and who cares for you, praying to God as your father. And you might say, Guy, I'm not quite there. And if you're not there, um, then say to God, God, I need help. Please help me to get to know you as my father, because I want relationship with with you. The reason why Jesus came to earth is because of a relationship, that he cares for us so much, that he wants our relationship restored with the father who is in heaven. So that's our first R in our prayer, is relationship. We can pray, my father. And out of that foundation of relationship comes our second R, which is, which is the request. And his request is, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If it is possible. And we want to say, as Jesus says, that everything is possible with God. God is all-powerful. He is the one in control. Yet at the same time, we find a God who loves us so much that he limits himself. And therefore, uh, we see this, in fact, on on the cross. As Jesus is dying on the cross, uh, the teachers of the law um, who mock him, the chief priests and teachers say to him, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And this mock, in fact, is true, that Jesus has the option of either saving himself or saving others. And he chooses not to save himself. He chooses to save others. So we find an almighty God, even a God who dies on the cross, who limits himself for our sake. Everything is possible. But at this moment, there's an impossibility that he can't save others and save himself. And so he chooses to limit himself and save us. And so that's the first part of the request. He's saying, if it is possible. The second part of the request is, may this cup be taken from me. And we want to ask, what is this cup that's going to be taken from him? And we see it in the Old Testament. This this cup, as Isaiah tells us, is a cup of God's judgment uh, or a cup of God's wrath. You see, we, we encounter a God who is holy and pure and other, um, a God who is completely sinless and spotless. But this is a God, though, who wants a relationship, a creator who wants a relationship with his creation, and therefore something has to give. And his creation can't give. We can't live a pure, spotless, perfect life. We just can't do it. I mean, I, I don't know if you've spotted this in others. Uh, you might have spotted it in yourself. But we, we just mess everything up constantly. I mean, as I get to know people, and I, I do spend a lot of time with people, I, I just realize how much mess there is in the world. Um, I'm sure as people get to know me, they realize how messy I am. We just aren't perfect. And yet God is. And yet God is perfect. And so he's one, this pure, holy, spotless one who reaches out to us. We can't give, 
and therefore he gives, and he gives of himself. Jesus in the garden is Jesus who is 100% human. He's perfectly human, fully human, but he's also 100% God. He is fully God. So we have a God in the garden of Gethsemane, rather, a garden of Gethsemane. And that God, the one who is fully God and fully man, is going to be the one who dies on the cross. But yet we see Jesus who's come, who's known for all, you know, all time that he is going to do this, he's going to die on the cross. We see him seeming to recoil under this idea, uh, this concept um, of, of what's starting to hit him, uh, of the judgment that he's going to take. And we might ask why? 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 Why is he recoiling at this point? And we ask why, because as uh, the pastor Richard Wormbrand tells us uh, from people in Romania, they're Christians who suffered and were tortured in prison, and they went through it more joyfully, and they went through worse pain and suffering than Jesus. And they're the ones who were inspired by Jesus. They would get flogged, and they would come back and carry on singing in their cells. And we see it in our own country as well. Martyrs who died at the stake uh, for Christ, for their relationship with him, for their love for him, uh, for sharing the good news about him. And they went, they went to it joyfully. And we see it even in the New Testament. Our, our first martyr, Stephen, in the book of Acts, uh, he's standing there in front of uh, this, the, 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 the trial court and he speaks of uh, how he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he seems to go and get stoned uh, joyfully. And so we say all these people were inspired by Jesus, and, and yet they seem to find death for him, suffering for him, torture for him even, as in Romania. Uh, they were able to go through that more joyfully than their inspiration, Jesus found it. So why, why is this? Why would, why would Jesus recoil at this point? And the reason has to be that no one ever went through what Jesus went through. And no one ever has to go through what Jesus went through. You see, what he's recoiling from is, is the judgment. It's not necessarily even the physical pain that he's going to go through with the flogging and being on the cross. It's not even necessarily the emotional pain that he's going to go through. He's suffered a lot of emotional pain already in his life. He's been rejected by everyone. He's going to lose his closest, and it's going to be rough. But that's not going to be the worst of it. What he's recoiling at is the thought of, of the spiritual pain. It's of the judgment uh, that's going to come on him. Listen to Michael Green uh, the pastor and theologian. He says, no one has ever had to face a fraction of what he had to face as he took responsibility for all the evil in the world. It was not the prospect of physical suffering or even the appalling torture of crucifixion that caused him to sweat blood. It was the sin-bearing that was so terrifying. No one has ever been through this and will ever need to go through it again. Or listen to uh, John Stott. 
he says this. Was he to become identified with sinners as to bear the judgment from this contact with human sin, his sinless soul recoiled from the experience of alienation from his father, which the judgment on sin would involve. He hung back in horror. Not that even for a single instant he rebelled. There's a recoiling in horror at what he's about to go through, at this judgment that he's about to undergo. But he doesn't rebel. He doesn't rebel. He's going to do all of this for you and me. And I think it's absolutely impossible for us to understand what he's going to go through because we don't have to go through it. Um, but there's, in, in this, there's such a promise that whatever we've done in our lives that has displeased God, all the mess that we see in our lives, all we need to do is submit a request to God saying that we're sorry and it can be forgiven. He has already paid the maximum price for the sins of the world. I find that absolutely incredible. A little example that reminded me of this a couple of months ago was when my mother, when my wife and I, rather, were bidding for an item on eBay. It is a second-hand sideboard, and I'd put in a bid of 110 pounds, uh, which is my maximum, and then the price suddenly went up a lot further, and we're coming to the final seconds uh, of this auction process, and so I put in a, a bid of 250 thinking maybe that is going to secure it. And I'd deleted the, um, the dot separating pounds and pence. And I was just about to put this dot back in again when my wife uh, pressed the enter button and submitted a maximum bid for this item of 25,000 pounds. And I don't know if you know how eBay works. It basically uh, sees the, the two highest bids and whatever the second highest bid uh, is, the, 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 the winning bid um, will be just a little bit more than that second highest bid. And so I, in putting the, this bid in of 25,000 pounds, I was saying, like, just whatever anyone thought it was worth, I was going to pay a little bit more. And Jesus' sacrifice for us is a bit like that. It's like, whatever ever anyone has ever done in history to alienate themselves from God. Anything that they've ever done that's evil and atrocious. As they give themselves over to God, as they ask for forgiveness, Jesus pays that price. He has paid that price on the cross. He dies for the sins of the world, for anyone who would ask him for forgiveness. And that means uh, as he dies on the cross, uh, there's a, as, as, as Stott says, um, there's a judgment that he bears. There's an alienation between the father and the son that's born there on the cross during that time. And he goes through the horror in the Garden of Gethsemane of what he's going to bear on the cross. And so we find this relationship with God 
we find the request in a time where Jesus doesn't like the look of the future, but he does it for us. And then finally, what we find is our, our third R, where he renders himself to the Father, where he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. And in fact, Jesus has been saying this the whole way through his life, that he's come to do the will of the Father. And we see something here in the Trinity. We see a, a Father and a, and a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit as well. And they're three separate persons. So Jesus does have his own will, but his will is submitted to the Father, that he will do what the Father wants him to do. And he doesn't do it because he's bullied into it. This is a plan of salvation that has been decided from the beginning of time. This is what he is always going to do. He isn't coaxed and cajoled into it. Uh, he wants to do it. He wants to do the will of his father. But at the same time, what he is going through isn't something pleasant. It's something awful. This alienation and judgment is something awful. And therefore, if he wanted, to, if he wanted it to happen, if he willed it to happen, then it, it, it wouldn't be punishment. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be judgment. Uh, in fact, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough. Uh, what he has to go through has to be something awful in order to take the punishment that we deserve and for us, therefore, to be able to have a relationship and be able to have a relationship with the Father. And so he submits his will. He renders to God. And this is the third part of the process, when we come to God and the future isn't something that looks good to us. We understand God as a father who loves us and cares for us. We submit our request to him and then we render our will to him, saying in our relationship with you, we know that we can trust you. And therefore, we know even if what we go through is going to be rough. We trust you enough to render our will to you. Just as Jesus did the Father's will, we want that sort of closeness of a relationship with you, our Father, where we say we want to do your will. And we can do this because we know and trust that Jesus died for us and that he has taken that punishment for us. And so that nothing that happens in our life uh, will be able to separate us from you and your love. Isn't that amazing? And then after Jesus does this, after he surrenders himself, after he, he says, not my will, but yours be done, uh, then he sees um, these lights of the soldiers and the, the, the priests, the chief priests, and they come with their torches and they're going down the Kidron Valley in the dark and up the side of the Mount of Olives. And so he wakes up his disciples and he says, come on, let's get up. We've been betrayed into the hands of sinners of the Son of Man. I have been betrayed into the hands of sinners. And he doesn't look back. He goes straight to the cross, knowing what's going to happen and knowing that he's going to do it all for you and for me so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can know him and that his love 
can be given to us. Isn't that amazing? So there might be times when you talk to God and you just don't think that the future's looking too good at all. Um, Here's the encouragement that we know our relationship that we have with our Father. Then we submit our requests and then we render ourselves to him, asking that his will be done. We submit ourselves to his will. And please do spend more time in this passage during this week as we head up towards Good Friday and Easter. It is a passage that I think you can spend your whole life in. It's got so much depth and shows us Jesus' heart and shows us the heart of the Father and pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work um, in revealing more to you from that passage about a God who loves you and cared for you all the way to the cross. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you so much for what we learn from this passage. We thank you so much for the relationship that we have with you. And we thank you for the relationship that we have at the cost of your son, Jesus. Thank you so much that the son died for us, died on our behalf. And we render ourselves to you again, Lord. We say, not our will, but yours be done. We give ourselves, we give our lives entirely to you. We praise and thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring Good Friday to life for us again. Let us not just walk through the motions of of Easter this year, but bring it back to life. Let us see the depths of it, both the sorrow and the joy. And Lord, we pray for the joy of Easter as well to overcome us as we spend time with you this week. Thank you, Lord, that we didn't only die with you, but we are raised with you to new life. Let us know that new life in you now and through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.